Aloha and welcome to Connection to the Cosmos with your host, me, Dr. Lisa Thompson, where I have out of this world conversations with extraordinary people. And today I have a different kind of guest for you. He's actually an actor, Harry Hart Brown, and we're going to bring him on in just a moment. But first, just a couple of announcements. So if you have not downloaded my 20-minute free meditative journey to meet your galactic family and guides, make sure you grab that on my website, mysticmanta.com or drlisajthompson.com. And if you are coming to Hawaii, specifically to the big island of Hawaii, Kona side, not Oahu, not Honolulu, then come on one of my big island UFO tours and see the night sky in a whole new way using our advanced generation three military night vision goggles. Okay. So without further ado, bringing on Harry. Hello, Harry. <laughs> Hello, Lisa. Hi. So this is going to be fun. Let me share with everyone your bio so that they understand like why, why it's different than some of my other episodes. So okay. Harry Hart, Harry Hart Brown is an actor who has worked on stage, TV, and in films for several decades. He has appeared on Seinfeld, one of my former favorite shows, Married with <laughs> Children, Night Court, L.A. Law, Hill Street Blues, and many others. Recipient of 11 theater awards for excellence in acting, Harry has also worked as a professional storyteller for 27 years. His 20-character one-man show called Special Delivery a 20-character one-man play about remembering the spirit while doing the earth gig, toured Unity churches and centers for spiritual living across the U.S. three times, and was selected to be the keynote performance at the annual Asilomar. Did I say that right? Asilomar. Oh, Asilomar. You were, you were close. Okay, conference. And two other spiritual center retreats. Harry now hosts Holy Mackerel Moments on YouTube, telling amazing true stories and magical metaphysical moments in everyday life. Topics include dream visits, performance help from spirits, life after death, raising vibrations, animal and plant communications, reincarnation, and jaw-dropping synchronicities. So, <laughs> so great to have you on, Harry. Very now, happy to be here, Lisa. My very... First question for you, because I don't have a list of questions. We're just going to flow with this. But I'm super curious about how you grew up um, in terms of like your household, spiritual, religious, something else to then get you into this now, you know, this holy macro moments and the topics. <laughs> that you so tell me. Yeah. About that. Uh, my household growing up was not particularly spiritual or religious. I did go to church. Baptist Church, but it wasn't that fiery Southern Baptist Church. It was okay. New Jersey Baptist, okay. which is kind of bland. And the people I w worked with as, you know, a congregant, the minister and the Sunday school teacher were really nice, but, and very earnest, mm. but very low key. And okay. I got antsy. So it really wasn't for me. It didn't resonate. Um, what did resonate was when I was quite young, I was on the front porch of my house and feeling anxious because my parents were not a good match and they fought a lot and it caused me a lot of anxiety. And on the front porch of my house, I saw a bird fly over my head, which was not unusual. What was unusual was this team of, I don't know what kind of force at my back, 
literally pushing me toward the bird and a voice in my ear going, follow it, follow it, follow the bird, follow the bird, follow the bird. I went, all right, all right, all right. I didn't know what the hell this was. So I uh, followed the bird across the road. It was kind of a rural area and it was a wooded area across the road where I'd never walked there before, but the bird went there, so I followed it. And just a few feet in, there was this beautiful clearing. I think there was a stump. You could see sunlight, shafts of light coming through the tree branches. It was so peaceful. I went, oh my God, this is heaven. It was like a sanctuary for me where I could go from time to time and find peace. Beautiful. Yeah. And I knew I was guided to go there by what I didn't know, but I was like very grateful. And then do you want a couple more instances of what opened me up to spirit? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Two more things come to mind in my young years. Um, I visited my grandmother once and she was so sweet, very quiet. She'd had a rough life. I turned the corner and she was sitting on a bench in their foyer with a little white jewelry box and a little piece of cotton in it. And she had folded up a $5 bill and put it in the box and covered it. And then she handed it to me. She said, it was going to be a surprise, but I'll give it to you now. I said, okay, thank you. Oh, $5. Thank you. And then I saw with her fountain pen, she had written something on one end of the box. God is love. Then mm. on the other side, she wrote, love is God. And I knew it. It's like, thank God she said that because I always felt that. Because, you know, you hear rhetoric of, I'm a God-fearing man. You know, I thought, no, right. it's not about fear. It's about love. And so that yeah. was a real affirmation to me that gave me comfort. And then a really cool thing happened when I was in about eighth grade in homeroom class. Mm -hmm. Two best friends, Bob and Gary, sat in front of me. They're best friends. They came in at the same time. They sat down in front of me practically in unison, turned to each other, whispered, and started giggling. I got curious. I said, what? And they said, you won't believe what just happened. I said, what? And Bob said, I just told Gary my dream last night. And my dream was that I was at a carnival walking down the midway and there were games of chance and food stands and rides and I was hungry. So I stopped at a food stand and ordered an egg salad sandwich. And I was handed it on a paper plate and I put it on the little counter and looked around. And I turned to eat it. A bite had been taken out of it. So I turned around again, looked back. It was gone. The whole sandwich was gone. Gary just told me he had a dream last night, too. He was in his basement. Nothing in the basement but a refrigerator. Nothing in the refrigerator but one egg salad sandwich that had one bite taken out of it. And he was hungry, so he ate it in his dream. And Bob said, you ate my sandwich. <laughs> but when they told me that, I went, how, how did that happen? How incredible. Yeah. That's not just coincidence. That's a connection. And that right. really made me curious about stuff. Okay. So then did any of that transition into your early adulthood as an actor? Like, did you get into acting right away? Or did you have other careers before acting? Oh, I, I the bug bit me when I was about eight. Okay. Second class play was the three golden pairs. And the teacher said, who wants to play brother number one? And all these kids raised their hand. 
And and I thought, Harry, if you don't do it, you're not going to do it. So when she said, brother number two, I raised my hand, but so did Billy Johnson. And she okay. didn't audition kids, but she said, okay, Billy and Harry, you go out in the hallway and we'll decide who gets the part. And and out in the hallway, Billy said, I hope you get it. I said, thank you. I know I should have said, I hope you get it, but I yeah. didn't hope he got it. <laughs> I wanted it. Right. <laughs> anyway, I, maybe they took a vote or discussed it. Anyway, she opened the door and said, come on in, Harry, you got the part. <gasps> And then at the first rehearsal, when I was walking down the aisle toward the stage, my heart was beating. It was like familiar. And a psychic has since told me I've been an actor in other lives. And as yeah. I walked down the aisle, I thought, this isn't an assembly where I'm going to sit in one of those chairs in the audience. I'm going to keep walking. I'm going to go up that little wooden flight of three or four stairs to the stage. And I'm going to act. <laughs> I was so happy. That was the beginning of my acting. Okay. Well, and so then the shows that you were on, because I'm familiar, I'm old enough, I'm 50. So I know all oh, those shows. Look, I know. You look and 20 so, younger. Thank you. Um, yeah. So I watched Seinfeld, like probably every every episode. I did watch Married with Children. I did watch Night Court, a little LA Lost. And so <laughs> anyway, so like, how did, but before we get into some of the spirituality, I'm, I just, I'm always curious about how people get into what they are doing. And yeah. so did you decide I'm going to Hollywood? Or, you know, so you were living in New Jersey growing up, right? Yes. And I knew from that day, playing the second brother in the three golden pairs, acting yeah. was it for me. Okay. And I told my parents that, and I, I was a big fan of Agnes Moorhead, who was a big actress back in the day. And I read that she had attended the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York. And so I said, how about there? HB Studio was also well known. And I mm -hmm. think my aunt, who was funding my education, spoke to my mother. And my mother spoke to me and said, honey, that might be wonderful. But we feel it would be more helpful to you to go to a regular college and get a degree. So when it doesn't work out with acting, if it doesn't work out with acting, you'll have something to fall back on, like teaching. Oh, Christ, I know. Sorry. I know what I want to do. Can I just cut to the chase? But, you know, I went to Boston University, majored in acting. It was good idea because I did a lot of growing up in those years. And if I'd yeah. been let loose in puberty in New York, just going to an acting school, God knows what trouble I would have gotten into. But uh, that that was my education. I got a Bachelor of Fine Arts in acting. Mm -hmm. I was in a few plays in the Boston area, moved to New York in 78. I was in an off-Broadway hit at the time called The Hotel Baltimore and other plays. Ah, and then a friend of mine said, you talk really well and you write really well. You should write your own performance piece so you're not dependent on outside forces to give you a chance to act. I went, oh. And I said, well, I'm not a, I'm not a writer. She said, Look, you push the energy out of your mouth, just push it out of your pen instead. Creativity is creativity. And I went, ah, can I do this? She said, take it in bite-sized pieces. Don't build the mountain so tall in front of you. If you get inspired, you get an idea that it tickles you or mm -hmm. makes you feel good or it feels important, jot it down. That's all you have to do. Honor the information you get by committing it to physicality. Take your little note, stick it in a folder, forget about it till you get inspired again. Jot it down, stick it in the folder. Jot it down, stick the folder. And after time goes by, you'll get an impulse to open that folder and see what you have. Mm -hmm. 
and they're going to be all these little pieces, but you will be guided on how to string them together, like jewels on a necklace and make it one coherent piece. And that was such great advice. Oh my God, that is perfect advice. And actually without realizing it, that's how I've written a couple of my books as well. No kidding, no kidding. Yeah. Wow. So for wants to write, I take Harry's advice right there. Yeah. Well, it was Loretta's advice to me and passing yeah. it along, but it was so helpful. So um, she moved to LA before I did and said, come out, come out, the water's fine. So I, I, that's what, after four years in New York, I moved to LA, did my one man show at a small theater, found mm -hmm. an agent, started auditioning. That's how I got the TV shows. And that, do, should I keep going? Yeah. Cause I, okay. I, I love I'll tell this. you how they melded for me. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking, just don't want to skip anything really good. Okay. Um, in uh, 83, I got cancer, testicular cancer. I had surgery. Later, in 1996, symptoms were showing themselves again. And I went, oh, no. And I, I didn't want to prevail on anyone to fund a surgery. I didn't have the money. And I've been reading books about, you know, children envisioning Pac-Man's eating their cancer cells. I said, I'll heal it from within. I'll yeah. do that. And I really focused on it. Mm -hmm. uh, long story short, in a few years, I did need to get the surgery. So okay. I didn't heal myself from within. But in that intervening time, what, what a journey it was. Um, I was referred to a shamanic healer in Topanga, California. It was all new to me. Mm -hmm. But she said, what I do is I go into a deep trance like Delta, which is like a waking dream. And I visit what we call non-ordinary reality. And I am made aware of any lost soul parts that want to come home and be reintegrated in your physical body. And I meet any animal helpers or spirit helpers that might help you. I said, okay. So she journeyed and came back and said, the first thing that was shown to me was a child flying and there were these flames. I call them fire jumper. And he jumped over the flames and jumped over the flames with great glee. And when she said that, I almost fainted because it immediately triggered a dream I had when I was about four. And in the dream, I was flying over rooftops and there were these sh shoots of flames coming out of the chimneys. Yeah. And as a great game, I would fly close to them really close and then do go over the flames, over the flames. So much fun. Fire jumping. So when she said that, I thought, this is the real deal. Right. And then, yeah. And then she well, said. And, and it shows uh, dreams are real. <laughs> right. Dreams are real life. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. She said, this kid I saw, the fire jumper, he's a part of you. He's a soul part. You haven't been paying much attention to him. He is fearless. He's adventurous. He's playful. He's creative. He would love to play in a physical body again, again, if you let him in. And that really hit me hard because I realized I lived on a lot of fear, uh, being run, making my decisions by what I might call my inner bully who was coming from fear himself. You ever heard of that? What well, that might happen. Watch out. Uh -huh. 
And yeah. then Pip, who I nicknamed this inner child, I went, okay, I'll work with him. And so when I got home from that journey with Amanda, I said to Pip internally, so you're going to go in the driver's seat. Butchie the bully will go over there in the back seat. He's very good at organizing and getting things done, but he's not very happy. What makes you happy, Pip? And he said, I'm going to go live in the pretty place where that shaman lady was. And I said, well, that's Topanga. And it's very pretty, lots of trees, but it's it's very expensive. I don't think I can afford to live there. And he said, well, you asked me what I wanted to do, so I told you. <laughs> so I, I started looking for rentals in Topanga. And sure yeah. enough, there's a little notice. Um, uh, small one bedroom in a house, rent 425, cable and utilities included. I could afford that. I moved in. That was, and then I moved to another place, but that was how I got to Topanga. And shortly after that, a friend said, let's go visit the local schools and tell them you're a storyteller. See how you do. Long story short, that was the, you know, I'd audition. I tell stories to kids. The teachers said mm -hmm. they loved you. Are you available? So I started working for um, uh, after school enrichment program as okay. a professional storyteller. But meantime, I was still playing with Pip. And uh, so the, the storytelling was great fun. And I, I, I slip in spiritual messages and moral messages every time I can. Mm -hmm. uh, and it really satisfied my itch to act because it was like doing a one-person show uh, sometimes 10 times a week. And this isn't reading from a book and showing the pictures. I memorize it and I act it out like a little play. So it's yeah. enormous, uh, hard work, but enormous fun. And the kids mm -hmm. fed me energy and, and exhausted me at the same time, but it was great fun. But as I started to say, I kept playing with Pip and he said, well, let's do a grown-up show about me and about spirit. And I went, ooh. As soon as I opened up to that, I got dictation every morning, started writing it down. I said, I know what we'll do. I'll be an actor in the cosmos and I want to act in a play. And my galactic agent will call me up and said, Harry, there's a part for you on Earth. I said, oh, yeah, it should be a lot of fun. You really match the character. I'm going to arrange a meeting with the director, who is your higher self, of course, and bring your hologram and your past life resume. Good luck, honey. It's room 3D on the universal lot. <laughs> so I, <laughs> that's the kind of the opening of the show. And then I go see my higher self. And he goes, oh, you're perfect. I think we can do this, Harry. Now, remember, once you get into Earth and start your play, you're going to forget about us. I said, yeah, right. Like I could forget about you. He said, you really are. I said, right. yeah, right. Let's just, right. Oh, my God. I said, let's get on with it. He said, okay. So, boink, I'm born. And he's still in touch with me. I go, how you doing? I go, it's weird here. And, and it, you know, they hit me on the ass the second I was born. He said, this is Earth, darling. This is your choice. This is the part you wanted to play. I know, I know, I know. So uh, the more I experienced Earth life, the fainter his voice became. Mm -hmm. And then it got to the point where he'd go, Harry, how you doing? I go, who are you? Oh, no, he's starting to forget already. And so then I forget, become aware of inner parts of myself, like Pip the happy inner child, Butchie mm -hmm. the bully, Debbie the victim. Walter, the old codger, always keeps the faith. And Schlocker, the drunk, who just gave everything up. The hell with it.
and they all cavort and have their experiences. I work at a um, South Central School for Emotionally Disturbed Children, which is like now we have the external children and they were a trip. Oh my God, they were so brilliant and colorful and precious. Mm. And that was a part of the show. And then in the show, I get the cancer diagnosis and freak out. And higher self says, now maybe you'll remember me. And he gives a gift to each of my inner selves to help them become confident and feel loved. And I go, oh, it's you in the, in the thing with the play. He said, hello. And I remember. And that's pretty much the show. I just did the whole damn show for you. Well, <laughs> I'm quite um, prophetic and like, I mean, in your spiritual research and experiences, did you know that's kind of how it works? <laughs> like um when you were writing the show yeah i i was kind of um started off uh reading the seth books okay are you familiar with them i am yeah um that really opened my head about how life works and um oh yeah i did i you someone mentioned the palladians i i read the palladian agenda and uh awakening to zero point by greg braden and all kinds of different stuff that that kind of helped inform me that that there's a lot before this life and a lot after. And as a friend of mine says, life is like the blink of an eye. Mm -hmm. I don't see it that way. It seems like never ending. But in the large scheme of things, it can be very short. And as you have mentioned, the idea of uh, all time being simultaneous. Yes. Oh, my God. That's, that's massive. Yeah. It, it is but it, massive. And most people still have, they're like, but there's time, there's linear time. I'm like, yeah, that's just only in this earth reality, pretty much. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 And part of my drive, in addition to the joy of performing, is my need to assure people that they don't have to be afraid of death because I'm choking up thinking about how heavy a burden grief is when you lose a loved one whether it's a, a human or an animal it's a killer but it yeah. need not be if we can believe and of course people say oh they're they're still alive in your heart and in your memory and they are but they're also still alive they're right mm -hmm. there you know, trying to get through and part of uh, what I want to do is is assure people of that tangible reality that it's a it's a very clever optical illusion that we're all separate and that death is the end. It's very right. well done, but it's not the real reality. And I want to assure people of that. Um, I just want to say one more thing. Um, Greg Braden, in one of his books, some person was saying, why is our spiritual amnesia on Earth so severe? I mean, we didn't forget a little, we forgot a lot. And look at all the problems in the world. And the answer he got from guidance was, no one forewarned you, no one told you because nobody knew. You're the first ones to do this, thank you. You're the pioneers in this realm of really uh, drastic spiritual amnesia. Mm -hmm. And considering how drastic it is, you guys are doing really well. Yeah. So. Well very interesting. Yeah. Cause I actually know, I know now that I chose to come into my mother so that I would have the experiences in my childhood 
so that I would remember really fast. Like, oh, like when some doors shut, other doors open? Yeah, actually more like that, you know, I didn't, I wasn't born into any like religious dogmatic house. I, right. we attended a spiritual school of enlightenment where we were learning about higher dimensional reality and um, creating your When reality. you were a child? Yes. You lucky? Wow. I know. I, what at the time, I didn't know how lucky I was going to be, but now I understand, like, yeah, why all that happened. And so, wow. Um, yeah. So it's just interesting that, we, you know, we sign up to play this earth life, this earth game, however many times we come to earth and, yeah. and other places. And so I'm curious, um, being that you do have interest in like past lives or I'll, I'll call them parallel lives. And in all of this, have you personally been able to experience some of your other lives besides Pip the flying over the, the fire kind <laughs> of life? <laughs> oh yeah, some, some came to me during a shamanic journey. Others were told to me by psychics. Um, mm -hmm. So many things. One came during an acid trip in my youth. Okay. That was interesting because I was um, outside on the ground, outside of a castle, and I knew mm -hmm. I was a king, and I was on top of and making love to a black woman lying on the ground, and I could see this strand of white hair, my hair, coming down, and mm -hmm. I was being scratched by a rose bush as we did the lovemaking, and it was kind of gritty and very sexual and very tender and loving all at the same time. And I kind of came out of that and I said, call Robert. <laughs> so while I'm still tripping, I called this dear friend of mine up in the Bay Area. I said, Robert, I'm tripping my brains out. He said, are you okay? I said, yeah, but oh my God. And I don't know if I told him then or in a subsequent conversation, what I just told you. Mm -hmm. And he just took it in and said, that's very interesting. And then he visited me months later and the Olivia Newton-John song, Got to Believe in Magic, was playing some, on a record okay. or a radio. And his eyes started fluttering. And he really got into the message of the song, Got to Believe in Magic. Mm -hmm. And then he looked at me, he said, I got it. I said, you got what? He said, the king and the, and the black woman on the ground. I said, what? He said, I was her. I was she. I was her. I said, what? Mm -hmm. He said, I got that you were the king and I was her. And I got why that happened because you were a king and you thought you were better than everybody. And I was a slave woman and I thought I wasn't as good as anybody. But when mm. we met and fell in love and made love, we both understood we were equal. Mm. Cool. Yeah. So that's, that's one of them. A, um, a psychic told me I was a uh, theater actor in old England, kind of Shakespeare's time, mm -hmm. and that I was leaning over a playwright's shoulder as he wrote a play saying, make him do this. I'm like coaching him on how to write a play because I'm going to play the part. I guess we had a close collaboration. I said, was it Shakespeare? She said, no, I don't know who it was. Maybe Francis Bacon, someone of that time. I went, oh, okay. And I said, was I a big ham? She said, well, you were as big as you had to be being a stage actor, but it doesn't mean you were bad. You weren't a blowhard. You were a gifted actor. I went, oh, good. 
She said, I also get that you were a film actor in the silent era and you were a leading man and you were gay and closeted and terrified to come out. Mm. And I can see you in your marble foyer in Los Feliz having a party. Darling, come in, being very effervescent and flamboyant and gracious. Uh, but then later that night when everyone goes home, you're just sitting on the side of your bed so sad because even your closest friends, you don't feel you can trust to tell your secret to, that you're gay. Yeah. And then uh, in later years, when talkies came in, you, you did sound films as a supporting character actor. Wow. Okay. Did, did that resonate? And, uh, with, like, yeah, when you're being well, told that by the psychic, did you get yeses for yourself that, yeah, she's spot on? It was exciting to me, and it, it makes sense with who I am now, because I, I was very militant as a kid being gay. I said, it's okay. People need to know it's okay, and it's not something we choose to do to annoy other people. It's right. just our DNA. It's how we're made. And there's nothing yeah. wrong with it. Jesus or, you know, God didn't say it's bad. They created us, the, the, the creators. And the Bible garbage is written by people with biases or fears. So, so I felt very compelled to assure people that gay is okay. And, um, and to combine that with my acting too. That was what my first one-man show was about, actually. Okay. Okay. Well, so how did you transition then into doing this holy macro moments and and sharing information about these kind of spiritual ideologies? I've always been a compulsive storyteller. In day camp, I used to gather the kids in the teepee by the river after lunch and say, guess what happened on the Twilight Zone Friday? The mannequins came to life and I'd act out the whole thing for them. So... In my later years in L.A., I, I had that same compulsion to tell spiritual stories. Mm. And so once I learned how to set up my phone and record, I made a, a series of things just called Amazing True Stories. Okay. And they were OK. And I think I posted them on YouTube. And then I got in touch with an old friend who I hadn't spoken to in many years. She said, what are you doing? I told her about the Amazing True Stories. She said, why didn't you make a thing out of it? I said, what do you mean? She said, make it a thing, get a logo, get a catchphrase, sell merch, uh, you know, uh, merchandise, not merchandise, uh, commercialize it, you know, get it out there in a, in a, in a snappy way. But I thought that could be fun. Mm -hmm. I thought, what shall I call it? Holy mackerel moments. Because you go, holy mackerel, and these amazing things happen. And um, this is in my first video where I explain how it came to be. And I would see Wally on a Leave it to Beaver rerun on MeTV. And he mm -hmm. would go, holy mackerel. I go, that's a sign. I should call my video series Holy Mackerel Moments. And then I was talking to a friend on the phone a little after that. And she said, so I said, holy moly. I went, oh, holy moly. That's even better. Because... Because holy moly moments. But holy mackerel is really good too. And I couldn't make up my mind. But a week later, I'm watching a beaver rerun. And Eddie has Tono, who Plawley, are looking at this man. And the man goes, boys, look. And they look up at this wooden panel wall upon which is nailed a plaque of a stuffed 
mackerel fish. <laughs> it's mackerel. That okay. is the deciding moment. That was your sign. You got the signs, and that that's my how sign. you. All right. Yeah. <laughs> well, so um, so you sent me a link to a very interesting one, which was about this young boy who was basically remembering his life oh. as the screenwriter of Gone with the Wind, right? So how exactly. did you come, how'd you come across that story, first of all, and decide that you wanted to share it? How Can I ask roughly how we're doing on time? We are, so we're about half an hour in, so. Oh, good. I, I just we, wanted to get something in there. Um, yeah, we have another we 20 minutes. But, Another 20 minutes or so that we can chat. Okay. Fabulous. Um, your question again. So oh, the boy. Yeah. Oh, okay. so I watch TV, as you can probably tell, having mentioned Leave it to Beaver. And one of my guilty pleasures years ago were these, these lifetime movies about stalkers and, you know, dark stuff. But okay. they were simple. And I could follow the plot. And they're sensational. Some of the actors are really good. And some of the writing is really good. So I said, it's okay, Harry, you can watch this stuff. <laughs> but that, <laughs> but that introduced me to the Lifetime channel. And I'm looking at my own screen guide one day. And it said, the ghost inside my child. It's the title of a series. I thought, what? Hmm. So I watched an episode and realized it's not about ghosts as much as toddlers with past life memories. I went, oh, this is interesting. So I just wanted to post the episode so people could see for themselves. And mm -hmm. I got into copyright problems. Like, you that's not yours. You can't post it. I can retell it, though. And I can give it credit for my source it being my source. So that's what I did in the most recent video. Okay. And it's a... Do you want me to do a quick recap about the boy? Yeah, yeah. go ahead. And then oh my. Maybe, people can watch it. Because, well, because you're... I mean, the way that you're splicing in different reels from movies <laughs> and other things, I mean, it's extremely creative. It makes you want to keep watching. You're not oh. just telling a boring story. I mean, well, the story itself is interesting, but you're telling it in a really compelling way. So I appreciate it. I appreciate you. Thank you for saying that. And it's funny how things happen for reasons. I hadn't been in the acting world for 20 plus years doing just making a living doing the storytelling. And then mm -hmm. one time a teacher, co-teacher saw me for the first time. She said, are you an actor? I said, yeah. She said, are you out there doing it? Are you auditioning? I said, not right now. She said, you need to, you're really good. And it, that was all the hope I needed. See how we help each other? That yeah. stranger, gave me the chutzpah to call an old friend who I knew was an agent. And I said, can we meet for lunch? She said, sure. She said, I am stressed out. I've been agenting so long. I'm going to phase out of it. I said, oh, okay. Well, if you ever do, you know, revisit it, would you consider uh, working with me as a client? She said, oh, working with you as a client. That would be fun. We could do that right now. I said, oh, okay. So she started getting me out on auditions. And because it was COVID, and uh, you audition via self-tape. That's mm. how I learned to uh, edit videos because she said, you, you need to lop off the beginning, lop off the end, do your slate, which is, hi, I'm Harry Hart Brown. I'm five foot 10. I live in Los Angeles, you know? And, and so that was the bare bones of me learning how to edit. And once I got a taste of it, it was really fun. So when I started doing the Holy Mackerel moments, I yeah. went, wait, I can put 
stuff in here. I could put in still pictures and music and video clips and being a boomer. I'm going to be 71 shortly. So I, I just love the 50s, 60s, and 70s. It's just my era. Well, plus I lived that past life in the 20s and 30s. And yeah. I've always been drawn to pre-code, early talking movies, very strongly drawn to them, which might okay. be a connection with that life. But that's right. the era um, of that and 50s, 60s that I put in those video clips. Mm -hmm. And I've been told, you know, short attention span world right now. Keep it moving. Bells and whistles. Don't let people get bored. So that's part of why I stuck them in. Okay. And then some people said, the too many clips. I just wanted you to tell a story. So I'm judiciously trying to balance the storytelling and the connection with the audience with the clips. And I'm glad you responded well to them because yeah. they're really fun. Okay, back to the boy you asked about. Uh, <laughs> Shelly Winters, who, who goes stream of consciousness, consciousness like that. She's a great actress years ago. She said... Um, that's how my mind works. I was going to name my biography. I was going to title it All Tributaries, No Stream. <laughs> That's kind of how I'm, I am right now because you bring it out of me, Lisa. Okay. Let it channel through you. <laughs> Bless you. Thank you. Uh, back to the boy again. Mm -hmm. uh, Eric lived in the Midwest. He, um, when you see the real, ep the whole episode, you see he had night traumas. And uh, he, he woke up uh, terrified that he was being crushed. Turns out the past life he remembered had a freak tractor accident and he had been crushed. Okay. But I, I left all that stuff out. The main thing about Eric was he badgered his parents from kind of the age two or three to get him to Hollywood. And he wouldn't let it go. And they said, why? And he said, I just need to go there. I've work to do. And... Um, and they didn't understand it. They thought maybe been watching stuff on TV about Hollywood, but you know. And then one day Eric said to his mom, show me when my birthday is on the calendar. She said, sure. So she put her finger on June 20th. Eric, this is your birthday, June 20th. He said, no, no, my birthday is June 26th. She said, no, it's not. Your birthday is June 20th. He said, no, it's not. My birthday is June 26th. She thought that was odd. Mm -hmm. His middle name was Cole, C-O-L-E. And whenever he said his whole name, he pronounced it Co. Co. She said, no, honey. She thought he had trouble pronouncing his L's. So she'd say, yeah. say this, Eric, say Cole. He go, no, it's not my name. It's Co. Co. I was named after my mommy. She said, your mommy's name is Jennifer. He said, is that your name? She said, well, yeah, I'm your mommy, aren't I? He said, Jennifer? No, no. Jennifer's my daughter. You're my daughter. Well, needless to say, his parents were very bewildered by these things he kept saying. Finally, one night at the dinner table, on he went about Hollywood. His father finally said, why? Eric said, I told you I need to work. His father said, what kind of work? You're in Hollywood? Are you an actor? He said, no, I don't like actors. He said, are you a director? He shrugged his shoulders. His father said, are you a writer? Eric said, yes, that's what I am. I'm a writer. I write movies and other stuff. His father said, did you write Ben-Hur? He said, no. His mother said, did you write, she named another movie, Casablanca? Mm. He said, no. His father said, did you write Gone with the Wind? 
Yes, that's my movie. That's the one I write. You know that movie? That's my movie. Gone with the Wind? His parents went to the computer, Google Gone with the Wind screenwriter. Up came the screenwriter whose name was Sidney Coe Howard, C-O-E, named yeah. after his mother. His mother's maiden name was Coe. And his oldest daughter was named Jennifer. And he was born on June 26th. Yeah. I know. You I get so emotional. It's like so cool. Well, you can't make that shit up. <laughs> I thank you. I know. It's like put it together. How can you doubt it? And then they they went on to read the Sidney Co. Howard croaked shortly after he wrote the screenplay and right before Gone with the Wind was released. He never got to see what an enormous hit it was, and he didn't get to receive his Oscar, which he won that year for having written the best screenplay of the year. Yeah. Finally, his parents took him to Hollywood. They went to a Hollywood museum that had a Gone with the Wind room full of memorabilia. There was a big old typewriter in the middle of the room. Eric made a beeline for the typewriter, started fingering the keys. Gonna cry again. And the museum lady said, have you ever held an Academy Award? I said, no. She said, would you like to hold this one? And he held it. He finally got to hold an Academy Award. When he got back to his hometown, the whole Hollywood obsession subsided. He started focusing on being a seven-year-old who liked to ride his bike and go to school and being Eric. Yeah. But if anyone says, what do you want to be when you grow up? He says, I'm going to do some more writing. <laughs> I love it. Well, and it just, I mean, it shows that we do come in where some things need closure, right? And for him, it sounds like he wasn't going to let it go until he got that kind of energy and response about that life. Yeah. 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 Affirmation. So, validation. Yes. yes. That's so sweet. So, what has been your biggest aha moment with all of the stuff that you're doing with the spiritual side of things? Do you still it's have my, the, hmm? how, or have you gotten over that? The fear of have death? I gotten have gotten over Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, have I gotten death. over what? Sorry, the fear of death that you oh, had. Oh, God, yes. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I I, paddled the boat down the river, the river called denial because I'm in denial about death because I always figured aging and death is really sad, but I'm going to be the sole exception. It's not going to happen to me. <laughs> I st part of me still thinks that. And yeah. in a way, I'm right, because death is not going to happen to me, you know, in the real reality. Um, yeah, I'm not really I'm not really afraid of it. I've read so much about the afterlife. It's yeah. like <laughs> I could be in a hurry to get there, but I don't want to push it. Um, yeah, I'm I'm fine with it, I think. OK, well, so what other wisdom have you gained or would you like to share with the audience? Oh, thank you. It's ongoing struggles to replace fear with love. And uh, I've always been a worry wart. And I am not uh, conversant in an organic, integral way with the oneness of all life. I know in my head it's the truth. I mm -hmm. know life is forever. I know it's all about love. I have some villains in my 
life who I um, who are in the world who I think are behaving very badly. And I have, do you know the German word Schwadenfreude? Yes, my husband, he's German. So uh, he's telling that word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, botched, I botched the pronunciation of it, but I think it means pleasure in other people's misfortune. <laughs> and part of me feeds into that. I want to see the bad guys go down. And I go, Harry. So my aha moments lately have been to really focus on the oneness of life, on the love that we're all made of. And if there's someone who is causing damage, I have to remind myself they are damaged. Yeah. And maybe that needs some compassion, not your anger or resentment. Granted, some people behave so badly, they need a timeout where they can, you know, not be able to do continued harm. But that's maybe called tough love. And maybe mm -hmm. they need to be isolated so that they can have their own healing. So for me, a lot of it is, is focusing on the love in everyone, beaming it out to those who need it. And, oh, there was another piece to this too about, damn, flew away. Okay. There's time for it to come back if it wants to. So Thank you. I, um, because you, you mentioned to me oh. that. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Hold that mm -hmm. thought. Oh, how are we doing? We got 15 yeah, minutes. Yeah. Okay. Bring it <laughs> now, Lisa, you know, all this stuff. You're like, boing, boing, but you're way up there. I mean, and your guests with, what was it, dragon light language? I mean, mermaids, I'm going, whoa. And then that one guest like channeled the dragon light language. And she went, yeah. I went, geez, this is a real language. Oh my God, it, it was just mind blowing. <laughs> so, so, so the whole concept of ascension has always been interesting to me and other beings. And, and as we said, simultaneous nature of time. But the article I read that really made me go, oh, now it's starting to make sense. It was about um, the scientific facts that the electromagnetic grids that are holding three-dimensional life in three dimensions, those grids are weakening. Mm. At the same time, the pulse beat of the earth is quickening. Mm -hmm. So when you get a combination of the weakening of the grids and the increase of the pulse, it goes up. You get ascension. Ascension is a scientific term also where they put stuff in some contraption that spins. And when mm -hmm. it spins, the densest matter rises first. Mm -hmm. And so this article went on to say in humans, the densest, <clears throat> pardon me, the densest, heaviest matter are the emotions that we felt and did not feel safe in expressing at the time we felt them. So we tamped them down and trapped them in our body, not allowing them to run their full, full course through us. Right. Those stuck negative emotions are what is, what are, they're now being loosened by this spiritual light and this ascension energy. The emotions are getting loosened and coming up and out for healing and being released. And when that happens, it creates a void 
where the stuck emotions used to be, now there's space and that gets filled up with a highly refined spiritual energy. And the more that happens, the more we are in tune with our intuition and higher self and guides and past lives and um, just knowingness about the larger workings of life itself. So when I look at the world now and I see all the tumult, I go, this is the boil being lanced. It is. This is the toxic stuff coming yeah. up and out. It's not stuck anymore. It's getting loosened up and released. So mm -hmm. when I'm able to, you know, get some distance from it, it's of course very upsetting, but I say, Harry, it's mm -hmm. what it is. And it's part of the healing process. It is. And totally agree. Do you agree? I do. Totally. And the, the guidance that my, you know, my beings, my extraterrestrials have shared is that, you know, we get to choose which reality we want to be a part of. And ultimately, that is how we are looking at the world, how we're perceiving it. So if we're coming from this higher perspective of love and understanding we're all connected and not judging anymore. Oh. And right then that's the world that we get to live in. And that is how we are ascending. But you're so yeah. right on about the, the emotional trauma that's been stuck. And there's so many more healers coming on board to help people process those emotions so that their bodies yes. are not heavy and ill because, you know, physical illness yes. gets created from these stuck emotions. Thank God for that. Right. I saw a, yeah, I saw a psychic on YouTube that said people are saying how bad things are. She said there are energies that are a little civil war like, a little Armageddon like, a little fascist like, but we're not in a civil war. We're not in full blown fascism and we're not in Armageddon quite. That's a sign that it's slowly getting better. I mean, we could dovetail into any one of those depending yeah. on what reality you're focusing on. But right. she said at this moment on earth, there are so many light workers doing their work that from her read of the energies, the mm -hmm. greater likelihood is that we will make this shift and ascend in, in great numbers to a happier place. Yes. Mm. Yes. Well, on in our just last few minutes here, I'm wondering, because no. you, you, you said that you did my meditative journey that yeah. I mentioned at the beginning. And so I'm just curious, were you able to meet a galactic guide or family huh. member? I have no, how much, how much time? Five, 10 minutes? Uh, we got five minutes. <laughs> sure. yeah. I could talk to you forever. Okay. Well, we can have you back on. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. I, I'm not eager. All right. Um, very complicated spacecraft, tons of lights, little nooks and crannies. I went, wow. Okay. The door opened. And I immediately felt comfort because when I was young, I had a dream that I was on a spaceship and I was on the floor and sitting in front of me were two parental figures, except they were Sleeping Beauty and Prince Charming from the Walt Disney movie. Okay. But they were so nice. <laughs> and I felt like they were alternate parents in a way to me. It was such a deep feeling of love. Mm -hmm. So now during the meditation of yours that I did yesterday, it was a similar feeling. And when the door of the spacecraft opened, this beautiful woman emerged, very humanoid, um, kind of like Sleeping Beauty, but different clothes, uh, long hair, slender body, uh, a tunic with a belt, like a leather belt 
her cloth. It was brown and it had a jewel in it. Behind mm-hmm. her was a young man with long hair and a white shirt and, and a vest and buckskin breeches and um, boots, kind of like an informal Prince Charming. And next yeah. to him was a brown bear. Interesting. And uh, in, in the meditation, you asked for, do they have any messages for you? And it was, um, <laughs> I took notes. Oh, we love you. Be at peace. Get ready for some fun. The gift they gave me was a sparkling emerald, and it symbolized the heart energy Mm. of me, whose middle name is heart, beaming out that green love heart energy to the world as part of my work here now. You asked about Ray number or something number? Yeah, what dimension? Dimension. (laughs) Yeah. Immediately I got a 12. I don't know what it means, but that's the number that came to me. Okay. Oh, and you asked their names. Honey, I okay. The woman was Masha. The man was Porto. And the bear is Bon. I didn't think I'd get anything because there were helicopters flying overhead. We had a fire not too far away. Rah, 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 rah. I thought this is a very light meditation. I'm not going to get anything. <gasps> but you're so good at what you did. Boing, boing. That stuff came to me. And I will be using it in the future. My 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 new friends that I'm aware of. Yes. Well, it sounds by the description. Could have been Pleiadian. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Because okay. they are. They're very Nordic looking, kind of like yes. Sleeping Beauty with how she's blonde. Yeah. Yes. So it could be them. So you can always tap in and ask, are you know, are you Pleiadian or something like that? Because there are a lot of different humanoid races out there. So, but that's wow. what we're describing. That's what came to me. So, okay. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I was drawn to read the Pleiadian agenda years ago, mm-hmm. and I found it really interesting. Do you think everyone has empathy deep down beneath all the layers for some of them? Do you think everyone, every being has that somewhere in themselves? I do. Because we are all part of source. We are all connected to each other. Some of us just happen to be playing more of that dark role for others. Yes. (laughs) Yes. But my first, um, my first ex-husband you know, he was extremely abusive and, but I could see the good in him. It's kind of like Darth Vader. Like I, I could see the light (laughs) everyone else around like, and so I stayed with him longer than I, for, than I probably should have, but (laughs) it had its own purpose, (laughs) but yeah, I do. I do. So any real quick last words that you want to share with the audience and, um, and, your YouTube channel, how they find you. And then we have to wrap up. Man. Oh, man. Okay. Um, Thank you for asking. Yes. I think the simplest thing to do is if anyone wants to see my work, YouTube search holy mackerel moments. Some of my videos will come up. You might have to scroll down to find some, but when you see my face in a circle and tap on that, that's my channel. You see all the videos. And beneath each individual video, 
are links to my website, to my IMDb page, which as you know, is a very long bio and video clips of my acting work and some other links. So, but the, the portal, who's falsetto? The portal <laughs> to all the other information is probably most easily found by, by searching Holy Mackerel Moments on YouTube. Okay. Well, and I encourage everyone to go check those out. Because again, and you. you keep them short, like you said, for attention span, right? They're shorter. So it's not like my hour long show here, but. Um... <laughs> no, your shows are very compelling from beginning to end. Yeah, my my um, my videos used to be 12 to 15 minutes and now they're more like eight to 10. Just okay. streamlining it more. Yeah. And um, so much fun. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being on. And yeah, you're come back on again. We'll have more fun, more stories. When? To Tomorrow? Kidding. <laughs> but no, I would love to come back. It will be fun. I so appreciate you taking a chance on me because you didn't know yeah. me, but but you did. And I'm very happy because of it. Yes. Well, I am that too. I get to meet you and get to know you a little. Yeah. You're doing great work. Thank you for doing it. Thank you. And thank you for being a light and love out in the world because we need as many of those as we can get. <laughs> yeah. No, so. ki no, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to buy your book. Um, the new one is called Connection to the Cosmos. That one came, yeah, that's the one that came out last year. And then I have a new one coming out this year as well. Called. So it's going to, um, I'm finalizing the title right now. Okay. Okay. But the most recent one that's out now is Connection to the Cosmos. Yes. Cool. Correct. Yes. Can't wait. Okay. Well, thank you for being here. And to our audience, thank you so much for listening, for watching. And I will see you next time on Connection to the Cosmos. Aloha. Aloha, 